Letters 27 and 28 of The Power of Sympathy, or The Triumph of Nature Founded in Truth, by William Hill Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 27. Worthy to Myra. Bellevue. I am just returned from a melancholy excursion with Eliza. I will give you the history of it. We generally walk out together, but we, this time, went further than usual. The morning was calm and serene. All nature was flourishing, and its universal harmony conspired to deceive us in the length of the way. While we were pursuing our walk, our ears were struck with a plaintive musical voice, singing a melancholy tune. This, said Mrs. Holmes, must be Fidelia. The poor distracted girl was carried off by a ruffian a few days before her intended marriage, and her lover, in despair, threw himself into the river. Eliza could say no more, for Fidelia resumed her melancholy strain in the following words. Tall rose the lily's slender frame, it shed a glad perfume. But ah, the cruel spoiler came, and nipped its opening bloom. Curse on the cruel spoiler's hand, that stole thy bloom and fled. Curse on his hand, for thy true love is numbered with the dead. Poor maiden, like the lily frail, t'was all in vain you strove. You heard the stranger's tender tale, but where was thy true love? Thou wast unkind and false to him, but he did constant prove. He plunged headlong in the stream. Farewell, farewell, my love. T'was where the river rolls along, the youth all trembling stood. Oppressed with grief, he cast himself amidst the cruel flood. White o'er his head the billows foam, and circling eddies move. Ah, there he finds a watery tomb. Farewell, farewell, my love. We advanced toward the place from where the sound issued, and Fidelia, who heard our approach, immediately rose from the ground. I was tired, said she, and sat down to rest myself. She was dressed in a long white robe, tied about the waist with a pink ribbon. Her fine brown hair flowed loosely around her shoulders. In her hand she held a number of wild flowers and weeds which she had been gathering. These, she cried, are to make a nosegay for my love. He hath no occasion for it, said Eliza. Yes, where he lives, cried Vidalia, there are plenty, and flowers that never fade, too. I will throw them into the river, and they will swim to him. They will go straight to him. And what will he do with them? I asked. Oh, said the poor girl as she looked wistfully on them and sorted them in her hand. He loves everything that comes from me. He told me so. He will be happy to receive them, cried Eliza. Where he is, said Fidelia, is happiness, and happy are the flowers that bloom there, and happy shall I be when I go to him. Alas, I am very ill now. He will love you again, said Eliza, when you find him out. Oh, he was very kind, cried she tenderly. He delighted to walk with me over all these fields. But now, 
I am obliged to walk alone. Fidelia drew her hand across her cheek, and we wept with her. I must go, she said, I must go, and turned abruptly from us, and left us with great precipitation. Farewell. Letter 28 Worthy to Myra Bellevue My melancholy meditations led me yesterday to the same place where I had seen the distracted Fidelia, and walking down the hill I again beheld her by the side of a beautiful spring. Before I could come up to the place, she was gone. She went hastily over the field. I followed her. After a few minutes' walk I overtook her, and we both went on together toward a small, neat farmhouse. An old man was sitting at the door. He gave a sigh as she passed him to go in. I asked him if she was his daughter. Alas, said he, my poor child, she has been in this state of affliction for near a twelve-month. I inquired what cause produced the loss of her senses. He looked down sorrowfully. The question awakened the gloomy sensations of past evils, the recollection of which was painful, and opened wounds afresh that were not yet healed. She has lost her lover, cried the old man. The youth was the son of one of our neighbors. Their infancy was marked by a peculiar attachment to each other. When the young people danced together, Fidelia was always the partner of Henry. As they grew up, their mutual tenderness ripened into passionate affection. They were engaged to each other, and Henry saved all his little stock of money to begin the world by himself. All the town beheld them with pleasure. They wished them success and happiness, and from their knowledge of both their characters were led to hope they would one day become good members of society. But these hopes are blasted, and they now bestow the bitterest curses on the wretch who hath crushed their expectations, who hath deprived Fidelia of her senses, and caused the death of her love. The gay Williams comes among us and participates in our domestic pastimes. He singles out Fidelia, and is assiduous in his attentions to her. Her little heart is lifted up, but her prudence rises superior to her vanity. Henry observes the operations of Williams, and thinks he sees in him a powerful rival. The unhappy youth becomes melancholy. He sickens with jealousy. The pleasures of our country are forgotten by him. His thoughts are constantly employed on his Fidelia. To complete the measure of his promised happiness, he wishes to call her his own. He declares the desire of his soul. Fidelia pledges her faith. He now sees the accomplishment of all his wishes in reversion. His heart leaps for joy. But, as the little paraphernalia is preparing, the ruffian hand of the seducer dashes the cup of joy from their lips. Fidelia suddenly disappears. Williams, the ungrateful Williams, betrays her to a carriage he had prepared, and she is hurried off. Henry stands astonished, wild with grief and dismay. He appears senseless and confounded. When the heart is elevated by strong expectation, disappointment and misfortune come with redoubled force. To receive pain, when we look for pleasure, penetrates the very soul with accumulated anguish. The old man paused. He endeavored to hide a tear that was stealing down his cheek and to check the violence of his passion. I asked him how long his daughter was missing. Not long, he answered. The young men, enraged at the insult, armed themselves and pursued the robber. 
they overtake him. Williams is wounded in the scuffle and is carried away bleeding by his servant. My daughter is regained. We thank heaven for her restoration. She inquires for her Henry. Alas, Henry is no more. The object of his love had flown from him, and with her the light of his soul. Darkness and grief had encompassed him. He had no resource, no consolation, no hope. She, whom his soul loved, was stolen, was wrested from his embrace. Who was there to administer grief? Who was there to supply her loss? Not one. The light of his reason now became clouded. He is seized by despair, and urged forward by the torments of disappointed love, he plunges into the river to close his sorrows with his life. The loss of Fidelia's senses followed this tragic event. She hears the fate of her lover and becomes petrified. The idea of her sorrows, her own agitation and care for her person, are lost in the reflection of her lover's death. A while she raved, but this is now somewhat restored, and, as you see, the poor maniac strays about the fields harmless and inoffensive. The old man proceeded to inform me of the death of his wife. The idea of one misfortune aroused in him that of another. Or rather, there was a gradual progression in them, and consequently a connection. He told me she did not long survive the death of Henry. "'Oh, Charlotte!' he cried. "'Thou wast kind and cheerful. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. I will not cease to regret thy loss till I meet thee in a better world.' Our hearts, continued the old man, addressing me, are loosened from their attachment to this world by repeated strokes of misfortune. Wisely is it ordered thus. Every calamity severs a string from the heart, until one scene of sorrow on the back of another matures us for eternity. Thus are our affections estranged from this scene of misery. The cord that detains the bird is severed in two, and it flies away. Formerly, as I sat in this place, in the mild shade of the evening, when I had returned from my labor and took Fidelia on my knee, how often have I rendered thanks to heaven for the happiness I enjoyed, and implored his power to make my child such another as Charlotte. This sweet remembrance yet swells and agitates my heart, and in the midst of the distress which surrounds me, I feel a consolation in tracing to you a feeble stretch of the happy times that are past. The old man was sensibly affected. He delighted to dwell on what his child had been. He thought of those times, and he sighed when he contrasted them with the present. In her disordered state, continued he, she knows me not as a father. I spread my morsel before her, and she flies from it. She forgets the sound of my voice. She is no longer unto me as a daughter." She, who hath so often said she would support me with her arm and lead me about when I should be old and decrepit, to her I call, but she returns to me no answer. Is not the cause of my woes a melancholy instance of the baleful art of the seducer? She is deprived of her reason and knows not the weight of her misery, and I am doubly deadened with her affliction and the accumulated misfortune of immature decrepitude. Seduction is a crime, I observed, that nothing can be said to palliate or excuse. And woe to him, added the old man, who shall endeavor to extenuate it. 
They have taken away my staff, continued he, raising a look of imploring mercy to heaven, while a trembling tear rolled down his swollen eye. They have taken away my staff in my old age. Freely did my heart share in the sorrows of the good old man. When I left him, I prayed heaven to compassionate his distress, and as I bent my pensive step towards Bellevue, I had leisure to animadvert on the fatal tendency of seduction. Adieu. End of letters 27 to 28